No, I think it's Susio. I think it's great. Are you sure? Can we get sued for talking about people? I don't know the legal. <laughs> Welcome to Book Talk Etc., a podcast bound to grow your TBR. I'm Tina from TBR Etc. And I'm Renee from It's Book Talk. This is a conversational podcast about books and more from two Midwest mood readers who are easily distracted by new releases. And today we're talking about our February Books on the Radar. We'll share something that we've been loving lately, review our latest read, and share a few of our most anticipated February releases. If you enjoy listening, we'd love for you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you have a quick minute, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or sharing us on social media. It truly helps us connect with other book lovers. Hey, Tina. Hey, Renee. How are you? Great. Doing really, really well. I officially feel normal again after almost three weeks. I was going to say, it's about time, right? Jeez Louise. It's about time. And... Also, despite Midwest weather update, the snow that we got, mm, yeah, I'm not super happy about that mm. at all. <laughs> I know we took a brief little trip uh, down to Florida, and it was nice to be out of the ice for a few days. It wasn't super warm, but it was warm enough. It was Lily's first time on an airplane. She was an absolute champion, saying hi, greeting everybody that walked down the aisle. Hi. Oh. Hi. Like, most adorable child. Like, she's just so social. I'm like, how? Oh, oh that's so cute. How? Right. She's really funny, but... Anyway, we had a good time, but I'm I'm back now. I'm like, okay, time to get down to business. We've got a lot going mm-hmm. on here at Book Talk, et cetera. A lot of stuff's moving behind the scenes. You guys will see it really soon, but we're both kind of yes. buzzing from that. We have quite a bit of exciting episodes and activities coming up, and we will be able to share about that very soon. But yeah, you're right. And and it's a busy week for that. And then you were traveling. So we're getting in the swing. And also there's a lot of new books oh my coming out. When I was prepping for this episode, I, w- I was thinking, oh, wow, how am I going to read all of, how am I going to read everything I want to read? Mm-mm, no idea. It's not pot. I love, I love having that problem, but then, oh, there's so many good books. I think publishers are, you know, between all of the um, shipping delays and the, the publication dates that have moved, man, they're bringing books out right and left. Oh, that sounds sure. so good. Yeah. And honestly, <laughs> right? February 1st is like a, a massive publication. I'm like, how mm-hmm. how am I going get to get to all of these? Because they're truly books, not only that are on my radar. These are ones that I want to put on like my immediate TBR list. But I'm like, how are we going to fit in reading for the show, reading what we want? We'll figure it out. We always do. But it's it's a it's a good time to be a reader. It it really is. And let's do Loving Lately. Right. Sounds good. Well, actually, my Loving Lately ties very well into my newfound obsession with digital planning. It continues. I'm sorry, guys, you're going to hear about this probably a few more times. But my Loving Lately is my Apple Pencil. I don't know if you have one. But okay, an Apple Pencil is basically a, a very advanced and fancy version of a stylus. Uh, I first I got an iPad for Christmas and started using it to do digital planning. And I was using this stylus, uh, really cheap one, like $2 that I got from the dollar store or whatever. And I was like, oh gosh, you know, it's serviceable if you're just trying to like poke around. But if you want to write, 
it doesn't work because the rubber tip moves all around. And finally, I thought, you know what? I'm going to invest and actually get myself a proper Apple Pencil. I couldn't love it more. I don't have a screen protector. I know some folks have, um, they, they make screen protectors that make it feel like you're actually writing on paper. I'm so far just using it straight on the glass and I love it. I use it to write in my planner. I use it the, the newest thing I've been using it for, though, is to create a digital journal of my reading. So as I'm reading, what I love is that I'm just reading, 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 whatever I'm reading, if it's audio, if it's reading on my Kindle, what have you, a physical book. And then on the side, I'll have my iPad open and I'm just taking quick notes. And it's so helpful for me in prepping for the episodes because I'm jotting notes down in the moment and remembering some specific details I love this. When I think about something like this, I think I paid like 80 bucks maybe for it. Um, I'm like, oh gosh, this is such a, you know, such a splurge for something that seems so simple. But I think about cost per use. I use this thing multiple times a day. It lasts all day with the charge. I use it for my day job when I'm taking notes and writing a to-do list. So with the amount I'm using it for, I feel very, very confident in this purchase. If you're considering getting one, be sure to get one that's compatible with your iPad because there's different generations and all of that. I honestly love it. I think it's super worth the money. And that's my recommendation. It's my loving lately. It's an Apple Pencil. Oh, you're doing so well on your digital planning. And I do have my, I do have an Apple Pencil. I never use it ever because I, I just, I, <laughs> when I got it, I really got it for when I was still tutoring. Mm. I took my iPad to work. Yeah. And I had a Bluetooth keyboard and then I had the Apple Pencil. But now that I have not been tutoring, I don't, you know me, I need my old fashioned like post-its and paper. And that's how that, that works for me. But I love that, that it's working for you. It's like unlocked something in my brain that makes it very satisfying. So I'm pretty, pretty delighted. And, you know, we're about three weeks into the new year and I'm still using my digital planner every day. I feel good about those odds. (laughs) Oh, good. All right. Good. Okay. What's great. your loving lately? Well, my loving lately, I am returning to skincare and I want to share an entire brand, Ooh, which please is one of my very favorites. It's Drunk Elephant. Mm-hmm. And I'm also going to be very specific about what I recently purchased, but I do use their eye cream. I love it. Highly recommend it, especially for moisturizing. But recently I purchased what's called the About Face Skincare Kit. And it was $78, which does seem pricey, but I'll tell you what came with that was a full size proteiny polypeptide moisturizer, which if you know that moisturizer, it's really good, um, like a daily facial moisturizer. And normally that by itself is $68. So I got a full size one of those. I also got the proteiny resurface serum, which is their lactic acid serum. I haven't tried that yet. And then it also came with a full size B Hydra intensive hydration serum. That's a All good of that deal for that price. For $78. Right. Huh. right. I will link to that because it's still, I double checked as of today's recording, it's still available at that price. But yeah, I, and I really like the hydration serum. I've tried that. I've tried the the polypeptide moisturizer, the Proteiny before, and I love them. I love Drunk Elephant's products. They are vegan and cruelty-free, and they're really good for aging skin and like fine lines and wrinkles and moisturizing. And 
for me, they have never irritated my skin. And my chin can sometimes get sensitive mm-hmm. to things. And, and I really have never had a problem with Drunk Elephant. So that's my loving lately today. And I've met Renee in person. She's got great skin. So, I mean, I tend to take <laughs> your skincare recommendations to heart. I also love Drunk Elephant. Their eye cream is one of the best that I've ever tried. And I've tried it is. so many on the spendier side of things, but it also is really nice. And I like their proteiny moisturizer too. That's one of my like favorites. I love to have it on hand when I can. They also have a good vitamin right. C serum. Like they have a lot of really nice products, actually. I haven't tried vitamin C. It sometimes makes my face red. Mm-hmm. It can be irritating. What I like about their vitamin C, first of all, the packaging is opaque. So the sunlight's not getting into it, which is a big deal with vitamin C. It can break Mm, down. It's also not grainy. I've tried so many vitamin C serums that are grainy and it makes me like, it like creeps me out. (laughs) And their vitamin C (laughs) is very smooth, which is, it's it's important to me. Thus concludes Skincare Corner. (laughs) Okay. Yes. All right. I want to know, what have you been reading oh lately? Oh my gosh, okay. Let me tell you about my latest read. I'm I'm like clapping my hands. I loved this book. I have not heard almost anything about it, and it's a February release. So let me tell you, it's called The Violin Conspiracy, and it comes out on February 1st, and the author's name is Brendan Slocum. This is a mystery about a, a Black classical musician and his desperate quest to recover his lost violin on the eve of one of the most prestigious musical competitions in the world. And what's really neat about this is that it's a mystery. I'd call it more of a literary mystery, but the author is a violinist himself. And you can absolutely tell that he put a lot of his own experiences into this. And, And this seems like a very personal book for him. So you have Ray McMillan, and he grew up in rural North Carolina. His family didn't have much. They had each other, though. And by the time he's in high school, his mom wants him to drop out so he can start bringing home a paycheck. But he's really, really close to his grandma and one of his aunts. And, you know, they spend time in her home. And Ray has a gift and a dream. He is determined to become a world-class professional violinist. And nothing will stand in his way. Not his mother, who wants him to stop making such a racket. Not the fact that he can't afford a violin suitable to his talents and not even the racism inherent in the world of classical music. I think he said something like one to two percent of classical musicians, professional musicians in, in, again, I know nothing about music, but it's only like one to two percent that are black. So it's a really, really like slim number of individuals that are um, professional musicians in classical music. He discovers that his great-great-grandfather's beat-up old fiddle is actually a priceless Stradivarius. And when he finds this out, suddenly his dreams seem within reach. And together, Ray and his priceless violin take the world by storm. So he's playing, he's traveling around the world to play this violin. There's only like 250 or so in the world, and he happens to have one of them. And on the eve of this cutthroat Tchaikovsky competition, just kind of like the Olympics of classical music, his violin gets stolen. And there's a ransom note in its place asking for $5 million. And when I tell you, you can feel this character's grief, it was palpable. Like I was like getting chills reading how devastating it was for this particular character. He refuses to give up. He's trying to piece together the clues because he wants to play this violin for the competition. And obviously to have it because it's priceless. If things weren't complicated enough, the family of the man who once enslaved his great-great-grandfather says that the instrument is theirs and they're going after him for it. All of a sudden, you know, he gets a lot of press. It's a Stradivarius. Now the family is like, oh, that was ours. We've been looking for it. 
He's got only a few people on his side, and he doesn't know who he can trust or whether he'll see this violin again. I really, really enjoyed reading this. I will say the structure's a bit different, so be on the lookout for that. It starts off right into the action. Ray has just discovered that his violin has been stolen, and he's retracing his steps. He's like, if I ordered pancakes instead of eggs, you know, might it been a different outcome? He literally never leaves it alone, even when he's traveling. So he's racking his brain to figure out when it might have happened. The police get involved, and they bring in one of the world's top art recovery detectives to try and uncover it. Again, I knew absolutely, I know nothing about violins or classical music, but I learned a lot from this book. And I think if you are someone that is into music, you would appreciate it even more because it's very detailed and and beautiful the way he writes about his music. Again, I'd consider this to be more literary, a character-driven mystery. And again, while it opens with a lot of plot, it does backtrack to Ray's past. And you get to see how he got to be so talented, and you get to see all of the prejudice he had to go through to get there. I really liked Ray as a character, and you can tell, again, it's autobiographical. And in the author's note, he shares some of the things that happened to Ray actually happened to him. So it becomes even more powerful when you think, oh, this literally happened to the author. Lots of layers to this story. I really enjoyed following along. This is a great debut. I hope you get it on your radar. I can't say enough about it. It is The Violin Conspiracy by Brendan Slocum. Oh, okay. That sounds good. I'm into literary mysteries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it, me too. I want more. I want more mm-hmm. of them. Yeah. It's really smart. Gosh, the characters are just so well thought out um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. For people who are looking for something different, yes. that sounds really different. Very different and really clever. Very clever plot. So anyway, mm-hmm. I could go on and I probably will. <laughs> but what is, <laughs> what's your latest read? My latest read is also a February release. It's Dark Horse by Greg Hurwitz. It's releasing February 8th. I wanted, I know we're bringing some early books, but I really want to entice, I hope I can entice everyone to put it on their library hold or get pre-orders in, especially if you like thrillers. So I want to say, I listened to this one. Scott Brick is the narrator and he's an actor and he is phenomenal. I mean, phenomenal. He was able to create nuance in the characters by using different voice intonations and tones. And then a a big part of this, which I'll I'll tell you about, I will tell you what it's about, is part of the Spanish language. So he's able to speak Spanish words fluently, it sounds like to me. Okay. So I don't want to lose everyone when I say this, but this is book seven (laughs) in the Orphan X series. I brought this to the podcast before as just a uh, book I was looking forward to. So don't, don't disregard this because I'm saying that. Keep listening. This is a book with the cartels. So it's got, it's got that kind of that backdrop. So Orphan, let me start over. The main character is Evan Smoke. And he is known as Orphan X. He was recruited as a child when he was 12 by a very secretive, dark governmental group. He had no parents, and he was living at a group home for children when he was recruited. He was then trained as an assassin for the government for a very, very, very deep part of a governmental group that no one really knew about. And then one day he decides he's had enough, and now he lives his own life, although people are after him. But what he does is he helps 
people who he deems, quote, worthy of help. He is a vigilante, but he's also a genius at technology, the latest technology. He has a love for the finer things in life. So you get a lot of high-level restaurants and what he drinks and keeps in his house. Like, it's a very, he's just, he has a very classy way of living. It's like rich people um, porn, he's, which is my favorite. I'm yes. Like, let me yes, live vicariously. Exactly. What have you got? What's in your cabinet? I need to exactly. know. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That is exactly a perfect way of describing his life. He's all, he's very witty. And so there's, a, there's humor in this book and there is a great cast of supporting characters. What this one is specifically about is he receives a call from a Kind of a drug, well, he is a drug lord, but not not a main Mexican cartel person, but he is a drug lord. He has done bad things. And Evan doesn't usually help people who have done bad things. So he has to decide, do I help this person? The drug lord's daughter has been kidnapped by a very dangerous, very violent cartel in Mexico. So that's kind of the setup of the story. And Oh, this is action packed from beginning to end because obviously Evan makes a decision and what happens from there is the crux of the story. It, there is a lot of cartel back and forth. There's a lot of cartel violence. It is very violent and very graphic, very, very graphic in places, which I have read Don Winslow's book. So I was familiar with that, but it is very uncomfortable at times. And I will say that Greg Hurwitz is one of the only other authors that is at the level for me of a Don Winslow or a Stephen King in his writing ability. The way he writes, in-depth characterization, I mean, perfection-filled dialogue that's snappy. It goes, the plots rarely slow down. They are very intricate. He crosses his T's, he dots his I's, but he keeps the action going. And I know that you might say, I can't read this because I'm not going to go back and start at book one. <laughs> Tina and other, maybe <laughs> other like, listeners well, are I'm saying that. <laughs> but I, I say this, if you like, and you're in the mood for an action thriller and you think to yourself, this sounds, this sounds good, then just read this book. Go ahead and read it. It's fine because you you don't have to go back. If you want to go back and start at this, I love the series. I've read every book. This one is my favorite. This is the best that he's written so far. And so to do that at book seven is incredible. Right. But this is a great, this is perfectly fine. You can read this and be fine because you don't need to have every single detail of Evan's life to understand who he is and what he does. And he fills you in on just what you need to be filled in on, Greg Hurwitz does, and you'll be fine. And that is my gushing review of Dark Horse by Greg Hurwitz. I love that. And you make a great point to have his book seven in a series be one of the best. That's incredible. That's incredible. Yes. And I don't know why we don't hear more about these books. There's a there's so many people who love thrillers, mm-hmm. and I don't feel like we hear or see him his books on Instagram hardly ever. Yeah, I think and you're right. These are, I mean, these are 
high, high, high quality books. And also the way that he leaves the story, he ties up just about every thread, but he always leaves you with a little bit of a mini cliffhanger, Mm -hmm. which is, I think, genius because now there's so much I need to know and I'm going to be waiting You know, for the next book. Honestly, there's Just something waiting, waiting. really special about that experience, I think. And again, this is from a hardcore non-series reader in that you've read it, read it, read it. Now you're up to date and there's nothing more. And now you're like waiting with bated breath. I don't get that feeling mm-hmm. a lot because I don't read series. And certainly I can be interested in new books that are coming out, obviously, it, you know, books with different characters. But there's something different where you already know Evan. And you kind of in your brain, I wonder if you're almost like, yeah, he's out there doing something. Can't wait to find out what it is, even though he's not real. (laughs) But you feel like there's more to a story. You feel like he's still doing something and you're going to get more from that. Oh, for sure. And also, this is very easy to pick up and read. And then and you could be you could think like, well, I I like Evan. Now I would like to know more Mm -hmm. about how he got to this point. And then you'd have the whole next year. To catch up. And I mean, this type of series, you can totally do that. I would really only say that about a couple, like Lars Kepler writes like that, where you could pick up, you know, book four or five, which is what I did. And then I went back Mm -hmm. and, and read, you can do the same thing with this series. It's, it's perfectly okay. Way to blow up people's TBRs if they're interested in series. (laughs) I know. I know. I want to get the word out about the series. I just think it's, Mm -hmm. it's great. People who love thrillers. Well, two highly recommends from us at the top of the show. I love that. We don't always plan to do that, but when it happens, it's like, yes, (laughs) I love it. I know. It's so fun. So we do. Today's our Books on the Radar episode. So we wanted to share a little bit about how do books get on our radar? Obviously, you know, we are in, this is what we do, right? We talk about books that are going to be coming out. So we thought it might be interesting to some of you to hear a little bit about, I guess, our process. And I almost had to think about it. I guess I'm always looking for the next book because I, and I've been doing this for years just because it's interesting to me. It's fun to think about, ooh, what's the new and shiny that's coming up? I think that's in our intro. (laughs) We're easily distracted by new releases. That has always been a part of my reading style. So how do books typically get on your radar? Well, I, I definitely, especially for books on the radar, these are books that we are looking forward to reading and we don't know anything we don't know anything about them mm-hmm. at all. So to even prepare for this this episode, I usually go to some of my main sources which are NetGalley where we mm-hmm. get advanced copies which anyone who even feel, you know, even if you write a, you know, a few reviews on Goodreads, you can sign up for NetGalley and, you know, try to start requesting advanced copies. But it's it's also a great place to see what books are coming out. Mm-hmm. That it that's a big source for me along with Book Riot. They profile some new releases. And Instagram on Bookstagram, I don't use that a ton for upcoming releases. Mm-hmm. I like to to find out what people think about, you know, some books, but I do end up Googling quite a bit. And like I, I think I mentioned last week, where I will just Google you know, 2022 new releases mm-hmm. and then go from there and see what comes up and see what sounds good. And and that's kind of, it's kind of a really, it's hard place to start, but that's how I, I whittle down. Based on titles and covers is kind yeah. of, you know what I mean? Or if it's already a trusted author, 
and I see that they, you know, that that they'll have a, a new book coming out, then I'll look closer mm-hmm. at that. Do you do the same thing or yeah. do you do anything different? I do. It's very similar. Definitely NetGalley is a huge source that we always are on <laughs> trolling to see what else right. is out there, even though we have plenty to read. I also get some emails directly from publishers like to say, hey, here's what's coming out next month, you know, just to get some of those books on our radar. And just because I get an email about a book doesn't mean it's automatically going to be you know, on my list. But then I, it takes me a minute to, okay, let's see what this is about, if it sounds good or whatever. I also look for author announcements. So sometimes you'll see like an author doing maybe on Instagram, they'll have a cover reveal or they'll just announce that their next book has been picked up so that you know in advance, like, okay, in a year from now, this person's coming out with a new book. And I write that down. I have lists, you know, that go go out even to 2023. My other source, Jordy from Jordy's Book Club does a really good job at the top of the year typically where he'll just break down. I mean, he does an Instagram story. There's like 50 books and it's like broken up into yes. two parts. There's tons of books on there. He's always really good about reading in advance. And then my other big, big uh, source is, like you said, the Book Riot Insiders. Uh, for $5 a month, we pay to be an insider and they put together a new release index. It's Liberty Hardy that puts it together. And boy, she just has such an eclectic taste in books. So I love going in there to see like what's new, what's coming up, and they break it down by month. And then you can like flag the books that you're interested in. So that's basically it. A lot of screenshots in my phone, <laughs> super you know, professional <laughs> and organized. I'm like, oh, that sounds good. I'll screenshot it. And hopefully I'll, I'll look back at it. But a lot of times I just forget about it. But yeah, that's part of the fun is the research. Like you said, Google's a big one. If I see an article like, you know, 2022 mysteries you need on your radar, I'm like, absolutely. Let me see what you've got. Right. What about author blurbs or blurbs on the front of books? Does that do anything for you? Does that pull you in at all? Yes, Okay. it does. Mm-hmm. It does. And it, a lot of times it depends on the author. Yeah. And if there's a lot of blurbs, that kind of gets on my radar because to me, if there's a lot of authors blurbing something, then that has that sounds like it could be potentially really good. Mm-hmm. Once I see who is blurbing it, I can be swayed. Yep. And there's one exception for that, and that's Stephen yep. King. I don't necessarily trust his blurbs anymore because he blurbs a lot. He does. Also, on the one hand, I think that's great. He's supporting mm-hmm. authors, and that's really, really helpful to them. But there's so many that I didn't like that he blurbed. Got it. So you're like, ah. Which is just, that's just kind of me, and per, you know, a personal. Yeah, so I, when I see him blurbing something, and because he does it so much, I just, I really kind of discount that. Yeah, I actually agree with you on Stephen King. Sorry, Stephen King, you know we love you, but. <laughs> we we do blurbs, love you. Yeah, but. I'm like, I don't know <laughs> as much. And so basically, I was interested to see, like, figure out where do blurbs come from? How do they, you know come about. And essentially what it is, it's the author or the author's publicity house that's pushing the book. They will get early copies out to some author friends or, you know, other people in the literary world. So they'll send like a bound galley to them, you know, and and basically they will ask that person for feedback. And then they take some of the feedback that that person gets and puts it on the on the cover. So it, it's kind of an interesting behind the scenes that I, you know, didn't think a ton about before this, like how do we get blurbs? And a lot of it's who you know and a lot of it's asking around. I think there are those some big name authors that do a really good job with like promoting authors of color or first time debut authors. For example, Jody Picot is always really good with that. I see her on a lot of blurbs and sometimes there there's stories that I think are expected, like, oh yeah, that would make sense that you would blurb because it, it's similar. 
And sometimes she just spotlights books that are a little bit lesser known. I like blurbs in that they help me know what to expect on the book I'm about to read. So for example, one of my picks today for February Books on the Radar was blurbed by Megan Abbott. And I thought, oh yeah, this is a absolutely perfect comp because just reading the synopsis of this book, I'm like, it feels very Megan Abbott-y. So they did a good job with that blurb. Okay. Yes. I mean, it feels like that's a new way of promoting books Mm -hmm. over the last, I don't know, I mean, several years, wouldn't you say? That authors are blurbing with it does feel new as, and a, then as I, a way to promote. Right. It d- definitely feels new. It feels like, you know, something that I think we are talking about noticing more. I have this article, of course, from NPR, and it's basically, have you read the irresistible story on blurbs? And blurbs have been around for way longer than we expected. It's talking about in 1856, um, basically somebody reading a first edition of Leaves of Grass. Emerson had mailed Whitman back a glowing note. And that was basically what they used to help promote the book. So we'll link to this article. It's super long and very detailed. I thought it was pretty interesting, though. Like, yeah, this, you know, it makes sense, right? Getting people that you know, people that you respect in your industry to read your book and perhaps put some, you know, words on it. thought it was really kind of interesting, though. I like blurbs. They they catch my eye. I've ignored them for years. I never looked at them. Like, I, would, I look at the cover and how visually appealing it is, the author's name and the title. And like blurbs, I literally gloss over sometimes. <laughs> Only recently have I started to think, hey, dummy, if you liked this book, who blurbed it? What have they written? Like kind of working mm-hmm. backwards. <laughs> I've never done that before right. until lately. Do you know who they're still putting on blurbs, which mm. I will completely disregard. I'm not necessarily disregard AJ Finn. AJ Finn, I thought you were going to say that. Mm-hmm. I wish they would stop doing that only because, and and that's a whole nother rabbit hole of his controversy, but I completely disregard that. I mean, sometimes depending on how Stephen King words something, yeah. it might, you know, it might catch my radar. But if I even see, I, I just, if I see AJ Finn's name, I'm like, um, I don't trust anything yep. He's going to say. Yeah, and you can do a quick Google for that one. It's pretty, it's all over the place, his controversy. But I agree. Once you kind of break that trust with the reader or just with the industry, it's like, why are you, why are you still here? (laughs) We aren't, this is not moving books to have AJ Finn as somebody who's blurbed it. Probably not. No, probably not. And I also, I need to, I need to circle back because I actually, when you mentioned Jordy, Mm -hmm which you're exactly right. He posted a ton of upcoming releases. I do have an Instagram source mm-hmm. that I I use for upcoming releases, and that's Dennis at Scared oh, Straight Reads. Absolutely. And he reads a lot. That's of- what Dennis is so good at. And he's also, he reads well within our wheelhouse, but he's so good at reading, posting reviews early, getting books yes. on the radar. And I trust his his taste for sure. I do too. And not that I always agree, like I may not end up loving it, but he's definitely a really good source for upcoming releases. Mm-hmm. And there's a few. I mean, if if you haven't checked out Bookstagram yet, definitely, you know, it's, it's worth setting up, you know, a quick account if you like books and just trying it out. And something that you could just start doing, which we've had some questions about that, where do you start on Bookstagram is just put in the hashtag Bookstagram or put in mis- hashtag mysteries if you're looking for people who talk about that. And that can get you started mm-hmm. on finding some people that are talking about those types of books or any books, really. I agree. That's why we've been doing it for so long. <laughs> I know. I know. But yeah, when you do put in 
hashtag bookstagram. I mean, you now it's millions, a billion. Yeah, I'm, but I don't know how many. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to find, you know, more nuance, maybe book reviewer. I use that sometimes, like on right. my own reviews, so that you know people know that I'm a reviewer. Hello. I mean, not that people care. Right. But yeah, I think you know you play around with the hashtags, see what other people use. I think that's always cool mm-hmm. to see. Okay, what hashtags are they using, and and how can you know it lead me to other similar right. posts. Right. Hash yeah, new releases, you can mm-hmm. hashtag that. And but it, it's it's kind of a fun place to start. And I know a lot of people may feel intimidated by where to start. And so those are just easy tips, I think. And if you do start, uh, say hi, let us know. We'll we'll yeah, take a look. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we love to chat with anybody in, in Instagram. We're always having right. little DM conversations. So don't be afraid to reach out. Right. Oh, all right. Well, I want to hear what books you are excited to read in February. All right. Well, let's get started. I have so many on February 1st. Three of my four are February 1st releases, so apologies. (laughs) But the first one I have is Don't Cry For Me by Daniel Black. Comes out on February 1st. Comes out on February 1st. And this is about a Black father who tries to make amends with his gay son through letters written on his deathbed. So Jacob is dying. And while he's processing this, he begins to write a letter to his only son, Isaac. They have not met or spoken in many years, and there are things that he feels his son must know. Stories about his ancestral legacy in rural Arkansas that extend back to slavery. Secrets from Jacob's tumultuous relationship with Isaac's mother and the shame he carries from the dissolution of their family. And he also needs him to know about the tragedies that inform Jacob's role as a father and his reaction to Isaac's being gay. Most of all, Jacob must share with Isaac the unspoken truths that reside in his heart. He must give voice to the trauma that Isaac has inherited, and he must create space for the two to find peace. I really liked the sound of this. It sounds like the author is really illuminating the lived experiences of Black fathers and queer sons. And he's offering an authentic and hopefully hopeful portrait of reconciliation. And it's a story of empathy and forgiveness for fans of ta Coates, Robert Jones Jr., and Alice Walker. I mean, hello with those three authors. I couldn't help but take a look. And actually, the premise reminds me a little bit about something that happens in Jason Mott's book, Hell of a Book, with the relationship between fathers and sons and regrets. And I love emotional stories like this. It sounds like it's going to be pretty moving. And this one is Don't Cry For Me by Daniel Black. Oh, that sounds good. I, I haven't heard of that one. So you just put one on my radar. And it's not too Thank long you. either. It's a, it's a slim novel. It looks like maybe 250 pages or so. I'm going to try and get to it soon. All right. That sounds good. I am also going with a February 1st release, and it's Circus of Wonders by Elizabeth McNeia. This was a total cover and title grab because like one of my sub niche things I love is books set in like a circus or carnival background. Interesting. I don't even read that many, but I love when I find a good one, I would love to read it. And I was hoping that this might be on par with Water for Elephants Mm. by Sarah Gruen, which I absolutely loved. I'm always kind of helpful when something's set at a circus. So this one is set in 1860s England. Circus mania was big. The circus in this story is called Jasper Jupiter's Circus of Wonders, and they kind of toss up their tents in a poor coastal town, and what happens is there is a young girl with birthmarks covering her body, and she's sold to the ringmaster 
to be leopard girl. Oh, damn. And isn't that sad? Mm-hmm. That's already, I mean, I, I already feel sad about that, but her name is Nell. And she, at first she's completely devastated to end up there, but then she grows close to the other performers. Sounds like they become part of her family. And she also becomes enchanted by the circus itself and eventually has her role become known as the queen of the moon and the stars. And she slowly becomes famous uh, across the world. And then enter Jasper's loyal brother, and he becomes captivated by Nell. And so it sounds to me like it could be a little bit of a potential love story that's fraught with conflict because Jasper is also in the story as the ringmaster. And so his name, his fortune And this is said to be a story about celebrity, power, and belonging with an unforgettable heroine at its heart. I love the sound Mm -hmm. of that. That's Circus of Wonders by Elizabeth Matnia. That does sound good. I haven't heard anything about this, but I have to check out the cover because I love a cover by. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. What's next for you? Next for me is Woman Last Seen by Adele Parks. And Adele Parks is an author I discovered last year who is one that I want to read more of. So this is her new release, obviously, comes out on February 1st. And this is Domestic Suspense. And it's a story of greed, lies, and family secrets. I mean, come on. (laughs) You have Lee (laughs) Fletcher, who's a happily married stepmom to two gorgeous boys who goes missing on Monday. Her husband, Mark, says he knows nothing of her whereabouts. She just went to work and never came home. And their family is shattered. Next, you have Kai Jansen. She's a woman married to wealthy Dutch businessman, Don, who vanishes the same week. Kai left their luxurious penthouse and glamorous world without a backwards glance, and she seemingly evaporated into thin air and Don is distraught. Detective Clements knows that people disappear all the time, far too frequently. Most run away from things, some run toward things, and others are taken but find their way back, and a sad few never return. These two women are from very different worlds, but their disappearances might be connected. That's what the detective believes, at least. And she's wondering, how could these women walk away from their families, husbands, and homes? And she's determined to figure it out. Now, here's the thing. We've done the missing woman trope before. However, if this is anything like her previous book, I Invited Her In, this is going to take us places we're not expecting, which is what I love, kind of taking a, a familiar sounding trope, but really giving us a twist to keep us guessing. So high hopes for this. It's Woman Last Seen by Adele Parks. Oh, good. Yes, that's on my February radar. That sounds good. I'm all for trying out a missing person. Mm-hmm. They will always tempt me. Like, so where are they? That sounds where good. Where do they go? I know. It's, it's an inherent, it is a trope. But it, it's inherently addicting mm-hmm. because you do like you. There's so much you could find out about where they went mm-hmm. and what happened to them, and there's so much. I love it. All right, this is different from yours. <laughs> it's called "The Family Chow" mm-hmm. by Lan Samantha Chang. It comes out February first. I would probably put this in the. It sounds like family drama slash mystery, murder mystery category, which um, both of those, I I love both of those put together. And this is set in Haven, Wisconsin. And 
the restaurant is Fine Chow, and they serve Americanized Chinese food. They've been in business for 35 years, and there's some there's some unsavory whispers going about regarding the family owners. And when Patriarch, who Patriarch Leo Chow is found dead, presumed murdered, his sons discover that they, the entire town, become suspicious of them. Mm. So there's some family drama. And what ends up happening, there is a trial. And there are three brothers, and all of them have motives. So you have one of them is the head chef. One of them is a financially successful but personally tortured member of the family. And then you have a younger one who is gentle but a lost college student. So almost sounds a little, not quite locked room mystery, but also there's a limited number of suspects, but they're all family members. Mm -hmm. And that sounds, so you know there's going to be um, drama. There's going to be like lies and secrets that come out that others didn't know about. And and also, who killed him? So this is being billed as a novel filled with heartbreak, comedy, and suspense, which is very interesting, and is also a highly entertaining portrait of a Chinese-American family grappling with the dark undercurrents of a seemingly pleasant town, as we know, in the a Midwestern town. And I want to say, I don't check Goodreads or Amazon before... I bring these books to books on the radar because the ratings and if they're low will influence me. Um, but this book is blurbed by Jean Kwok, who is the author of Searching for Sylvie Lee, and she calls it a gripping literary mystery that explores family, betrayal, passion, race, culture, and the American dream. And it's also blurbed by Jess Walter, who was the author of The Millions, and he calls it a wholly original and gripping story about passions, rivalries, and searing pressures that royal a single immigrant family. And I love those blurbs got me. Mm -hmm. They they did. So that is The Family Chow by Lan Samantha Chang. Oh my gosh, that sounds so good. I saw the cover and it, it kind of pinged my radar. Because I like the title, mm -hmm. and I'm like, okay, what is this about? I didn't realize it was taken to court, though. I love when they go on trial as a part of the story. Love domestic suspense. This one sounds really good. It does. It sounds really good. Well, speaking of crime, uh, my next book is Other People's Clothes by Kala Henkel. Also comes out February 1st. This is a debut that takes place in Berlin in the late 2010s, where two American expats are obsessed with Amanda Knox and they find themselves at the nexus of murder and celebrity. Mine was blurbed by Megan Abbott. And when I saw that she had blurbed it, I was like, this makes perfect sense. This sounds like such a Megan Abbott book to me. Zoe is an art student who goes to study abroad in Berlin with the hopes of escaping the pain of the recent murder of her best friend. She's feeling untethered until she meets fellow exchange student Haley, who idolizes Andy Warhol and Britney Spears and wants nothing more than to be an art star. They come across this apartment that's being sublet by a well-known thriller writer, Beatrice Bex. So the girls jump at the chance to rent it. 
And they soon spend their nights twisting through Berlin's club scene, and they spend their days hungover, as one does. And they soon become paranoid Mm -hmm. that they're being watched. And they think, you know what? This thriller author is probably using our lives as inspiration for her next novel. So they decide to give her something to write about and start crafting these main character-worthy personas. They begin hosting a decadent weekly nightclub in the apartment, finally gaining the notoriety they've been craving. Everybody wants an invitation to Beatrice's. They're the it girls. And as things tend to do, things begin to unravel and events spiral out of control. And they begin to wonder whose story they are living and how it will end. This book sounds like it's nostalgic and a deep dive into the intensity of female friendships. And they say it's a window into millennial life in a commentary on the lengths people will go to in order to eradicate emotional pain. I mean, this sounds perfect for me. I took a a brief month detour in college. We did a a year, I'm sorry, a month study abroad in London and Ireland. And so I fondly remember those times. It was in the 2000s. And I'm like, I'm there. This one's called Other People's Clothes by Kala Henkel. It's also got one of my favorite covers so far this year. Mm, It's so nice. It's almost Warhol-esque, honestly. It's very cool. Right. I have I think I have a copy of that. And yes, I really, I really like the cover and the the Amanda Knox. Oh, well, I want to see how that yeah. Like, how does I that tie know in? what that's about? Mm-hmm, me too. Mm-hmm. Me too. For sure. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. My next one comes out February 8th. It is Shadows of Pecan Hollow by Caroline Frost. This is a literary debut. And it caught my eye because it's set in the 1970s and 90s, which I love. And it's also it's also said to be perfect for fans of Where the Crawdads Sing, which I loved. And this is about a 13-year-old runaway named Kit Walker. And in 1970, she is abducted by a guy named Manny. He's a low-level criminal. And because she's a runaway, it sounds like he was able to kind of groom her. And once he kidnapped her, he made her his partner in crime. And together, they become pretty infamous for a string of gas station robberies throughout Texas. And they make a name for themselves as the Texaco Twosome. 20 years later, which I love, I love when things jump forward because obviously something happened. 20 years later, Kit has scraped together a life for herself and her daughter and opens the door one day to Manny, who is fresh out of prison, a new man, and Kit is forced to grapple with the shadows of her past and her community which is set into a tailspin, it sounds like, with his arrival. This is described as gritty, penetrating, and an unexpectedly tender novel about resilience and the bonds that define us. And just reading about just the synopsis gave me potential vibes of all the ugly and wonderful Mm. things, which... I resisted reading for so long, and then I did read it, and I loved it. It made me uncomfortable, and this one sounds like it could have similar feelings because I already want to know about this story. I want to know, like, did she fall in love with him? And if so, what happens when he returns 20 years later? Is he really changed? 
is he still a criminal and what will she do? I have all these questions just based on the synopsis. So um, I'm re- I want to read this really soon. That's Shadows of Pecan Hollow by Caroline Frost. Mm-hmm. Yep. I saw this one too. I was like, this sounds really good. I bet this will be a buzzy book this spring. I, I feel like it might be. Yes. All right. What's your last book? All right. I'm going to wrap things up with a book called Our American Friend by Anna Petoniak. She is the author of a book, Necessary People, that I really liked. This book comes out on February 15th. And the hook is A Mysterious First Lady, The Intrepid Journalist Writing Her Biography, and The Secret That Could Destroy Them Both. Almost that's like enough for me. I'm like, cool. Journalist, first lady, Mm -hmm. like tell me more. So basically you have Sophie Morse, and she was a White House correspondent, and she quits her job because she is sick of the increasingly outrageous antics of the sitting president. She plans to leave politics behind until she gets a call from the office of the First Lady, Laura Kane. And Laura asks Sophie to come in for a private meeting with her. So, of course, she's like, This is the First Lady. I have to go. I'm curious. Sophie, like the rest of the world, knows pretty little about the First Lady, only that she was born in Soviet Russia raised in Paris and worked as a model before moving to America and marrying the brash future president. Laura basically asked Sophie to write her official biography to fill in the gaps, and she's too curious to turn this up. So she begins to spend more and more time at the White House, developing a bond with the First Lady and eventually a pretty deep friendship. The more surprising thing is that Lara is entirely candid about her mysterious past. She doesn't hesitate to speak about her father's work as a KGB officer and how he wasn't the only person in her family working undercover during the Cold War. And Sophie begins to wonder, why is she telling me this? This is sensitive information and why me? And she's beginning to feel that she's in the middle of a game of cat and mouse that could have explosive ramifications. The comps for this one were the secrets she kept. And it's a propulsive Cold War-era spy thriller crossed with a fictional biography of a first lady. And it spans a pretty wide length of time from the 1970s to the present day. You go to Moscow, Paris, New York, of course, Washington. And it says this is a gripping page-turner and a devastating love story about power and complicity and how sometimes the fate of the world is in the hands of people you'd never expect. I mean... I'm in. I This actually was the very first arc I requested, the 2022 release. I requested it last year and haven't read it yet, but I will soon. <laughs> it's Our American <laughs> Friend by Anna Petoniak. Right. Devastating love story got me. What if they fall in love? Like, I would love that. Could you imagine? I know. Could you imagine? What if they do? <gasps> oh, I got it. I got to know. Oh. I got to know. <laughs> ah, I love, so I, I, this is, this is what's fun about doing this episode and like, the excitement mm-hmm. that we feel and like, oh, I want to go pick up that mm-hmm. one too. Okay. We need time to read. <laughs> I know. All right. My, la- <laughs> my last book is The Paradox Hotel by Rob Hart, yes. and it comes out February 22nd. And this caught my eye because he the, he's a new to me author. This is, I think this is his second book, but I have not read anything by him. And I also really like the sound of this. It's a speculative thriller, a time-twisting murder mystery, and a story about grief and memory and what it means to literally come face-to-face with our ghosts. And in the story, you have a detective and January Cole, and her job is getting harder. She runs security at the Paradox Hotel. 
which is a hotel where ultra-wealthy tourists arrive costumed for different time periods, and they are all waiting to catch their, quote, flights back to the past. Cool. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm there for that already. Where proximity to the time port makes the clocks run backward on occasion, what happens is rumor has it that ghosts are able to stroll through the halls. This sounds like one that you might need to just go mm-hmm. with, and, and I'm okay with that. However, one day, there is a corpse found in one of the rooms, and the one that seems to be both there and not there, and the one that somehow only January can see. So on top of that, new guests have, have just checked in because the U.S. government is about to privatize time travel technology. The world's most powerful people are on hand to stake their claims. So January is sure that timing for for everything isn't a coincidence and that these aren't accidents. Things start happening and she can see things that others can't. And for this reason, she's the only one who can catch a killer who's operating invisibly and in plain sight all at once. This sounds really odd, mm-hmm. but I mean, really all I needed to know was time-twisting murder <laughs> mystery, yep. and I want to give this a try. And also, I will tell you, S.A. Cosby blurbed this, and that immediately got mm-hmm. my attention. And he said, this is an engrossing and thought-provoking sci-fi mystery that is also an achingly beautiful meditation on grief and the pain of lost love. And S.A. Cosby wrote Razorblade Tears, which we both loved in 2021. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I trust what he says. And also, this is one of Crime Reads, which I mentioned last week, one of their most anticipated books of 2022. So for both of those reasons and the time travel aspect, I, I want to read this. It's The Paradox Hotel by Rob Hart. Mm-hmm. We, this was on my radar, too. I didn't know much about it. But then when you read the synopsis, I'm like, oh, no, this is a Renee. This is not a Tina book. <laughs> the time travel, there's grief, there's, you know. It's totally, it's totally, totally murder mystery. Yeah, alley. I was like, this is a Renee for sure. Mm-hmm. That's it for today. We thank you for spending a part of your day with us. Links to all the books mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can help us by following us wherever you listen and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get our podcast out to new listeners and grows our audience. And don't forget, if you would like access to exclusive bonus content, you can join us for $5 a month on Patreon. Feedback and questions about the show can be sent to booktalketc at gmail.com. You can connect with us both at booktalketc on Instagram, Tina at TBR, etc., and me, Renee, at It's Book Talk. Talk to you next week. In the meantime, remember, everything's better with books. Talking to the mic. Is it? Yeah. Can you hear? <laughs> Can you hear? Huh? You see the red lines. Say bye to Renee. Bye, Renee. Hey, hey, mama, go. <laughs>